0: Welcome to JourneyWithJesus.net, a weekly webzine for the Global Church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled If You Love, and it's based upon the lectionary readings from May 19th, 2019. If you knew you were about to die, what would you tell the people you love? What cherished hope or dream would you share? What last urgent piece of advice would you offer? In our Gospel reading this week, we hear Jesus' answer to this difficult question. Judas has left the Last Supper in order to carry out his betrayal. The crucifixion clock is ticking fast and hard, and Jesus knows that his disciples are about to face the greatest devastation of their lives. So he gets right to the point. No parables, no stories, no pithy sayings. Just one commandment. One simple, straightforward commandment summarizing Jesus' deepest desire for his followers. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. And then, right on the heels of the commandment a promise, or maybe an incentive, or maybe a warning. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. May I take a moment here to point out what Jesus doesn't say? When death comes knocking and the Son of God has mere hours left to communicate the heart of his message to his disciples, he doesn't say, believe the right things. He doesn't say, maintain personal and doctrinal purity. He doesn't say, worship like this or attend a church like that. He doesn't even say, read your Bible or pray every day or preach the gospel to every living creature. He says, love one another. That's it. The last dream of a dead man walking all of Christianity distilled down to its essence so that maybe we'll pause long enough to hear it. Love one another. What's staggering about this commandment is how badly we've managed to botch it over the last 2,000 years. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson names the irony this way, This new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate, and yet it is profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. When I look at my own life, it's not too hard to name why I perpetually fail to obey Jesus' dying wish. Love is vulnerable-making, and I'd rather not be vulnerable. Love requires trust, and I'm naturally suspicious. Love spills over margins and boundaries, and I feel safer and holier policing my borders. Love takes time, effort, discipline, and transformation, and I am just so darn busy. And yet Jesus didn't say, this is my suggestion. He said, this is my commandment, meaning it's not a choice. It's not a matter of personal preference. It's a matter of obedience to the one we call Lord. But what does it mean that Jesus commands us to love? Does love obey decrees? My guess is most of us would say no. Shaped as we are by Hollywood or Jane Austen novels or romantic poetry, we usually think of love as spontaneous and free-flowing. We fall in love. Love is blind, it happens at first sight, it breaks our hearts, and its course never runs smooth. Even if we put our culture's hokey cliches aside, we know that authentic love can't be manipulated, simulated, or rushed without suffering distortion. Those of us who have kids understand full well that commanding them to love each other never works. The most we can do is insist that they behave as if they love each other. Share your toys, say sorry, don't hit use kind words, but these actions, often performed with gritted teeth and rolling eyes, aren't the same as what Jesus is talking about. Jesus doesn't say, act as if you love. He doesn't give his disciples or us the easy out of doing nice things with clenched hearts. Know what I want him to. Nothing feels as hollow as a loving act performed mechanically. Moreover, I doubt that the people who flocked to Jesus would have done so if they sensed that his compassion was thin or forced. He says, love as I have loved you, as in, for real as in, the whole bona fide package. Authentic feeling, honest engagement, generous action. Honestly, doesn't sound like he's asking for the impossible. Maybe he is. G.K. Chesterton once wrote that the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Imagine what would happen to us, to the church, to the world, if we took this commandment of Jesus' seriously. What would Christendom look like if we obeyed orders and cultivated impossible love? I ask these questions fearfully because I don't know how to answer them even for myself. I mean, I know fairly well how to do things. I know how to make care packages for the homeless or bring dessert to the church potluck or send checks to my favorite charities. But do I know how to love as Jesus loved? To feel a depth of compassion that's gut-wrenching? To experience a hunger for justice so fierce and so urgent that I rearrange my life in order to pursue it? To empathize until my heart breaks? Do I want to? Most of the time, I'll be honest, I don't. I want to be safe. I want to keep my circle small and manageable. And I want to choose the people I love based on my own affinities and preferences, not on Jesus' all-inclusive commandment. Charitable actions are easy, but cultivating my heart, preparing and pruning it to love, becoming vulnerable in authentic ways to the world's pain, those things are hard, hard and costly. And yet this was Jesus' dying wish— which means that we have a God who first and foremost wants every one of his children to feel loved. Not shamed, not punished, not chastised, not judged, not isolated, but loved. But that's not all. Jesus follows his commandment with an exhilarating and terrifying promise. By this, everyone will know, meaning love is the litmus test of Christian witness. Our love for each other is how the world will know who we are and whose we are. Our love for each other is how the world will see, taste, touch, hear, and find Jesus. It's through our love that we will embody Jesus, make Jesus relatable, possible, plausible to a dying world. I can't speak for you, but I'll be honest, this makes me tremble. What Jesus seems to be saying is that if we fail to love one another, the world won't know what it needs to know about God. And in the terrible absence of that knowing, it will believe falsehoods that break God's heart, i.e. that the whole Jesus thing is a sham, that there really is no transformative power in the resurrection, that God is a mean, angry, vindictive parent determined only to shame and punish his children, that the universe is a cold, meaningless place ungoverned by love, that the church is only a flawed and hypocritical institution, not Christ's living, breathing, healing body on earth. Such is the power we wield in our decisions to love or not love. Such are the stakes involved in how we choose to respond to Jesus' dying wish, hope, prayer, and commandment. Such is the responsibility we shoulder, whether we want to or not. But here's our saving grace. Jesus doesn't leave us alone and bereft. We are not directionless in the wilderness. He gives us a roadmap, a clear and beautiful way forward, as I have loved you. Follow my example, he says. Do what I do. Love as I love. Live as you have seen me live. Weep with those who weep, laugh with those who laugh, touch the untouchables, feed the hungry, welcome the child, release the captive, forgive the sinner, confront the oppressor, comfort the oppressed, wash each other's feet, hold each other close, tell each other the truth, guide each other home. In other words, Jesus' commandment to us is not that we should wear ourselves out, trying to conjure love from our own easily depleted resources. Rather, it's that we're invited to abide in the holy place where all love originates. We can make our home in Jesus' love, the most abundant and inexhaustible love in existence. Our love is not our own, it is God's, and God our source is without limit, without end. There are no parched places God will not drench, if we ask. Love one another as I have loved you, for our own sakes and for the world's. For books this week, I review Nadia Boltz Weber's Shameless, A Sexual Reformation. Troubled by the church's apparent lack of interest in people's sexual healing and thriving, Lutheran pastor Naughty Boltzweber began interviewing her Denver, Colorado parishioners with three questions. One, what messages did you receive from the church about sex, the body, and gender? Two, how did those messages affect you? And three, how have you navigated your adult life as a result? The answers she got back, answers full of pain, anger, confusion, and yearning, led her to write Shameless, a brave and incisive exploration of sex, sexuality, gender, faith, and the Church. Drawing from her own life experiences, as well as those of her parishioners and her children, Boltzweber makes a strong case for burning down the antiquated, monolithic, and misogynistic ideas about sex that have dominated Christian teaching for as long as she can remember. She argues that sex is a gift from our Creator and calls for sexual ethics that celebrate human diversity, offer paths of healing and restoration for all people, and honor the human body as precious to God. For movies this week, Dan reviews AlphaGo. The 3,000-year-old Chinese game called Go is the world's oldest continually played board game. It's simple enough that schoolchildren all over Asia play it and attend after-school clubs to become better. But Go can also be played at a deeply complex and even contemplative level. There are more potential board configurations in a game of Go than there are atoms in the universe. And so for about 20 years now, beating Go has been the holy grail of the artificial intelligence and machine learning communities. This 90-minute documentary tells the story of a five-game competition in March of 2016 between Korea's Lee Seedal, 18 Go Go World titles, and a computer program called AlphaGo that was created by a Google-sponsored company in London called DeepMind. Some 200 million people worldwide watched the 2016 match in Seoul, about twice the Super Bowl audience, where it was front-page news. The event was a breakthrough for the AI community and a fascinating exploration of the nature of human intelligence. The movie doesn't include the fact that AlphaGo was followed by three more powerful AI successors that won subsequent matches against top human players. Dan, watched this film on Netflix streaming. And lastly, for poems this week, Until the Stars Collapse by Tonya Ingram. You owe it to yourself to quit being the apology. To hold your hand and sing your favorite song. To love another and see how far that will go. To love yourself and forget where you were headed in the first place. Love is a funny story. It wakes up and builds a plot. It wakes up and shapes you into the kind of woman your mother studies. I am not perfect in it. I'm not even remotely articulate. But it is big, this love. It is airborne and triumphant. I am no easy show. I hurt like the climb of my lineage. I hurt on purpose. I hurt to not be hurt. No, none of this is an excuse, just a blueprint, a map. Come find me when the day is bronze and the sorrow is full. I am building my poem in this here heart. All of it is a working title. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for May 19th, 2019. I'm Debbie Thomas.